Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Edition. LeBron, Rashog, and MJ. Yes, Mike Johnson from all the way across the globe from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Johnson standing by along with Pierre Lebrun. Lots going on around the National Hockey League. Looking forward to breaking some of it down. As always, Got Your Back NHL Edition is brought to you by Kuma Outdoor Gear, where they've got a wide range of gear to fit all of your outdoor needs, from tents and sleeping bags and travel games, pet products, drinkware. And they love their new Switchback heated chair as well, the world's first heated chair powered by Bluetooth technology. It's got dual heat zones in the seat and the back, and you can adjust it from your phone. It's ridiculous. Super cool. Uh, Make sure you go to kumaoutdoorgear.com to check out all that they have to offer. That's Kuma Outdoor Gear. It's experience luxury outdoors. Pierre and I, just from our home offices, Johnny, off on the road, an exciting road trip over in Sweden. How? It, where are you exactly, and how is the jet lag, my man? I would wish I... The crazy part is, Shoggy, I couldn't even sum it up like, a, hey, what's up in Swedish? Like, I got zero Swedish to offer you. I cannot speak it at all. I am coming from my no. hotel room at the Grand Central Terminal in Stockholm from the uh, yeah from the very European hotel, tiny and small beds and everything else. But got over here on Tuesday morning, so yesterday morning. Um, today's the second day. I'm doing okay. A little tired this afternoon, but uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. So the whole day at rank, all four teams there practicing. We're not going to get down this road, but Minnesota. Like, one of the hardest practices I remember seeing in any situation. Like, straight, sneaky bag skating oh. drills, full contact battle drills. Right? Partly because they're losing, partly because it's their first practice over here, but not pleasant. But, yeah, Stockholm is it's an amazing city. It's beautiful. It's uh, food, architecture, people. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, all I know in Swedish, but it's always helpful when you're trying to order a drink before last call, is is thank you or thanks. So... <laughs> So thank you very much. Is tak samuke? Yes. And if you just want to say thanks. It's easier to remember. It's tak. Yeah. Tak. Yeah. Every time we've had a Swedish guest on the show, Pierre, you throw the tak samuke at them, and they look at you oh, like yeah. you have three heads. I don't think you're doing that right. <laughs> oh no! I, I've been told. Per Bjorman, the Per Bjorman is the Bob McKenzie of the Swedish hockey media. In fact, Per is over there. You're going to run into him, MJ. But uh, Per, who's based in New York City, but uh, went back home for this, says that I say it just fine. So uh, that's great. Do you have a uh, Do you have a quick cure all for uh, for jet lag? Like I'm the guy that's always I push through. So I'll literally I'll stay up for as many hours as I need to stay up, and then go to bed at a normal time. Yeah, but you pay a heavy idea. price when you do it that way. MJ, MJ, what's your strategy, man? Or are you oversleeping? You look tired. I'm not going to lie to you, and I love you, but you look tired. Well, to be fair, I was asleep six minutes ago. So, I mean, I woke up to, 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 to do this. So, um, <laughs> my, my strategy, which you'll not be surprised to hear, yeah. I sleep when I'm tired. Like the first day, yesterday, I stayed up to like 1130. So, I stayed up through the whole day and then slept until nine in the morning. But now it's the second day. I'm tired. It's three in the afternoon. I will mix in a nap and then just be on my way. I'll be fine. I sleep when I'm tired and try to sleep at night. All good. So what I used to do when I covered the World Championships every year, and I was a younger man. I was a younger man in my 30s. MJ, in fact, played for Canada one year when I was there. 
<laughs> I used to try to stay at North American hours because uh, I would just go hard every oh, night. Oh, it's such a bad mistake. And Oof. and I'd be I'd try to stay up till three a.m. every night, pretty much, and then you know get in seven hours sleep, and then uh, and then just go the next day, and then the adjustment, you know, basically kept your body clock on on North American hours. It worked for me then. I think now I probably couldn't pull it off. I think I'd be tired all the time now if I tried that. Hmm. Toronto, Ottawa, Detroit, Minnesota, four games to be played uh, through Sunday. Uh, should be fun. Uh, we're dealing with mm -hmm. international Wi-Fi here too, so we might be dealing with a little bit of a delay with Johnny. That's fine. We'll we'll smash our way through it, and we'll do our best not to talk over one another. We'll make sure we know uh, whose turn it is to talk next. Um, let's start with the GM meetings, Pierre. I know you were covering uh, in your rumblings uh, blog. You kind of you know checked in on a bunch of different things, but. What would your headline be? What was Mr. Daly's mood about a few of these things that uh, I'm sure some GMs wanted answers on? Yeah, and I talked about this on Insider Trading yesterday too. Um, you know, number one is is there was a uh, on the official agenda for the GM something called report on gambling. So I asked Bill Daly about it yesterday, and what it was is that there were teams that were a bit confused, obviously, after the Shane Pinto suspension about the do's and don'ts, and uh, and I think to some degree it irritated the league that they didn't understand after all the documentation they've been given. Right. So Bill Daly went over again. And um, I think he's fairly confident no one's confused anymore after yesterday's GM's meeting. So, so that was an interesting moment. Uh, the other one is, and, and, and we've gone down this road before uh, after the senators forfeiting the first round pick, but now we've got more clarity on this guys. MJ will be interested in this. Bill Daly talked at length with the GMs about the no trade lists. And so what's happened here is because the NHLPA did not want to partake in a central warehousing of no trade lists, so we'd never have another Evgeny Dananoff fiasco again, Bill Daly strongly recommended to GMs yesterday that they submit their no trade list to NHL central registry and then they have nothing to worry about, um, but they can't force it because the PA isn't on board. So I asked Daly, well, okay, I guess we'll see, you know, are there some teams that have already done this? And he said, yes. So some teams have already submitted their no trade list to central registry. So it sounds to me like while teams aren't being forced to do this, that there was, uh, I would say, a certain tone in Bill Daly's voice to GMs yesterday that suggested, send us your no trade list. So there you go. Strongly encouraged. And I guess that would say then, when you acquire a player, when a trade goes through the central office, then teams was like, actually, here's the list, so you know what you're getting. Because even like the Dadnoff situation, the no trade thing would not have impacted the first step of the trade to Vegas. It would just impacted the second step onto Anaheim, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So now it would travel yeah. with the if you submitted right. this, it would travel with the the the, the player's file, yeah, and the trade. But so it wouldn't some be just teams have already submitted. Some teams have already submitted. So every insider is hard at work trying to figure out how to get that information oh. and put it out there publicly. Are you serious? And the whole Central system will come crashing down. Hey? Central Registry is like Fort Knox, man. Once I know, I know. Yeah. I'm kidding. It's the job. Uh, one of the other topics um, uh, that I know is kind of floating out there, and Pierre, they kicked the can yeah. down the road, was three on three. Is it broken? Does it need to be fixed? Are there tweaks that can be made? Is it still better than the shootout? Let's be honest. So right. I don't know. I'll kind of throw it out there. I think it's a fun discussion. 
Do we think that three-on-three needs to be improved because of all these regroups and the amount of time teams spend resting with puck possession? Johnny, does it fundamentally need to be fixed? And do we have any brilliant ideas on this podcast? Um, I don't think it needs to be fixed. Could it be improved? Perhaps. But I don't think it needs to be fixed. I think that the essence of it is the same. More games are decided in that form of play than on the shootout, which I think what matters most. The only thing I would say is this, you know, it already is a stretch and departure from regular playing, you know, five on five. So you're already changing it pretty dramatically. If you're going to introduce a, you know, once you cross the blue line, then the red line sort of becomes a blue line and you can't regroup in your own end sort of offensive zone situation and defensive zone. Again, that is another massive departure from what is actually hockey. I don't know if we need to do that. Even more so, a shot clock to me is gonna is a bad one because now you have you know i don't know how long it would be 30 seconds 45 i don't know you don't have to shoot and a power play doesn't shoot every 30 seconds like again there would also be um a real departure and a significant change in trying to keep it somewhat like regular hockey so i would say while both those things have been floated i don't like either of them i think the first and easiest and most obvious solution give me three more minutes more players play, guys get tired, chances will occur, games will end. I think the idea is to try to have it played somewhat normally and have as many games to end as possible. I know, again, the Players Association doesn't want to extend games any longer than they already go, but, you know, nobody gets hit in three-on-three. It's all just skating around, you know, fast but not under duress. So I think if you just add a few more minutes, that would be the first step I would go to, uh, but I would be hesitant about the other stuff no regroups, shot clocks, whatever it might be, Pierre. What do you think? Yeah, and it's funny because some of the writers that were there covered it yesterday were, 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 were they were kind of enthused by this, this conversation. And I'm like, I'm exactly like you on this. It's already a bit of a gimmick. And I listen, my kids love it. There's no going back. Three on three is very popular in my house. But it's already a gimmick. So how much more gimmicky do we want to make it here? And um Listen, you're talking to a guy that'd be fine with a 60-minute tie. I grew up with that. Three-on-three, Soviet Union, Montreal Canadiens, New Year's Eve, 1975. Nothing wrong with a tie game in mind, but I know we're not going back. Um, I don't like tweaking it. Figure it out. Someone obviously wants to score in three-on-three. I I wouldn't touch it myself. And there's no question the NHLPA has balked at extending three-on-three, which a lot of GMs would like to see because of the overtaxation of the same players that keep going over the board. So. Um, I suspect that if it would, because it was brought up yesterday to have a further discussion in March at the real GM meetings, the three-day GM meetings, we're probably looking at an eventual tweak. They don't just put that on there for March and say, we're going to gloss it over. It means they're going to look at it pretty good. So I think a change is probably coming. Boring. Okay. Boring podcast right now. (laughs) Well, listen, if you wanted to end. I got to be myself, man. I'm fine with a tie game. Minor hockey. Three for five minutes, then two on two for four minutes, and one on one. Like, I mean, you can find ways to make it end. Oh, yeah. You so can like, make an abomination if you want to, for sure. You know, Frankenstein right. the thing. You, Let's fra- you, Okay, I would submit, though, guys, I would submit that a shootout is already a Frankensteining of the game somewhat. Totally. I'll just throw this out there. I'll just throw this out there. What if two things? One, I wonder what would happen if you eliminated the long change in overtime? Because I wonder how many teams are regrouping because changing is so hard. And if you regroup, you allow your guys to get off the ice, remove it. 
the difficulty of changing lines a little bit. And then now I don't like this because I don't want more whistles, but what if you weren't allowed to carry the puck out of the offensive zone on your stick? You had to pass it out. If you're going to regroup, it's got to be a pass back over the blue line. Otherwise, it's a defensive Get zone face Out of here. Just what, are you go couple back to football? thoughts. No forward. Go ahead. Go ahead, Johnny. Rip me to shreds. This is real. So listen. No. No, listen. No, you know what I'm saying, too. Johnny. You, I understand you, ha- what you're you have saying. to carry the puck on a regroup, or you have to Ringette. pass it back over the line. Ringette. I understand. I, I get what you're saying. Ringette, you can't carry it over the blue lines either way. I get it. But first off, first one, not bad. Actually, if you if you don't flip the zones, make the changes easier, then the advantage of doing the regroup is sort of negated because by, by the time you get back to your own blue line, guys will be able to shuffle off to their short bench. That would really eliminate one of the advantages in taking your time forever. And you're welcome. Part of that, one of the dumbest things you've ever said on this <laughs> podcast. Honestly, you can't pass the puck. Or you, you can't skate it over the blue lines. You have to like no, 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 like, not not in the offensive direction, Johnny. Only heading back to your I, own net. Retreating. You, there's no I, retreats. There is no I, retreat in no three surrender. on three. Yes. No. No. Bad idea. Completely. <laughs> but I do listen. Like something. All is, right. Fine. Something wow. as simple and small as not switching the benches. Like, I don't even know if fans would even notice. And yet it would feel the same, but strategy right, would right. change. Because what has happened, we've seen it. Strategy is now you basically wait them out, wait them out. You might change two or three times. You get a team out there that has the same guys for 75 or 80 seconds. And then you attack because they're exhausted. If you don't like it, you keep doing it. You keep doing it. Or if you don't have as many talented players, you're like, we don't even want to trade chances. We just try to run at the clock. So that might help with some of that. Not bad, but also terrible. And by the way... <laughs> The fact that this has happened, the three-on-three overtime, uh, which is fine with me. It's a regular season. But can we now do away with the conversation that some people actually started two years ago about maybe going to three-on-three overtime in the playoffs? Are you mm-hmm. nuts? Don't need it. Yeah. Don't need it. This is not what yeah. you want in the playoffs when, when it actually no. matters. Come on. And the way the yeah, game is played now agree. I, goes that deep. Like, there's no more Anaheim-Dallas every single game going forward. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Right. Never happens. Like Maybe one a playoff goes to double overtime. It's fine. This is yeah. a uh, this is a positive development. I have fixed something, and Johnny loves my idea. I'm I'm gonna. That's my takeaway from what just happened, Johnny. <laughs> that that was my Ryan. takeaway. I actually you had a different it. takeaway. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Let's talk about some trade stuff, guys. And obviously, it's got to be surrounding the Calgary Flames, Tanev, Jadarov, Hanifin, Lindholm. There's just these names are just floating around out there, and you got Craig Conroy in his first time in this position. Uh, wheeling and dealing and making calls and such. P- First and foremost, Pierre, this is a tremendous amount to be on one GM's plate at any given time, trying to move these caliber of names at any given time. Not easy yeah. for a first-time GM. That's a big lift. Well, and, and it's actually fascinating. I don't want to go too long on this, but if you rewind the clock to when Craig Conroy was named general manager, we had him on our podcast, right? Ryan, you may remember, and yeah. he said, he said one of the lessons that they learn as an organization is they were not they were not going to have another Johnny Goudreau where they were going to deal with their pending UFAs in a manner in which either they get signed or they get asset value in return way before they're forced into a July 1st situation with them. So that was he was pretty public about that. Then we got to the draft in Nashville. Uh, we were all there. And a lot of the reporting at the time was that teams were calling on Lindholm. And, you know, calling on Hannafin and all this was going on. They did trade Tyler Toffoli. 
But then the Flames, as you remember last summer, were like, wait a minute, we're going to try and sign some of these guys. We're feeling good about our chances again. And so they nearly signed Hannafin last month. It was very, very, very close. Both sides were in the ballpark. It was going to be about close to $60 million on a, on a max deal for Noah Hannafin. And then Noah Hannafin, I'm told, was like, you know what? Let's just see how the season plays out here early. And now that ship has sailed for both sides. So what's happened now is the Flames have, have kind of retreated back because of their start to the year and said, we need a roster reset. We're, we're going to listen. What they've told teams is, we're going to listen on our pending UFAs. Not 100% they trade all of them. They may still sign, I guess, one of them. But they're now listening on Lindholm, listening on Hannafin, listening on Chris Tanev, who, boy, if I'm a playoff contender, I'd love to have him on my blue line and add a bit of a Vegas-type blue liner to my team. And uh, Nikita's... Zadorov, who kind of kicked off the weekend with a trade mm. request through his agent. Um, I think all those guys get moved between now and March 8th, and the Flames have to find a way to kind of slow play this where they're not doing this all at once, right? They got a lot of pieces to. And Johnny, to as out. Johnny, as you evaluate these names, like are there some obvious potential fits for you? If you look at guys like real, real clear, obvious fits for any of these guys, some stuff that you you think would be front running teams? Doesn't it feel like Lindholm should just get traded to Boston now and get it over with? I mean, <laughs> like, they need centermen, two-way reliable guy. They had some pretty good success with uh, um, Hampus Lindholm coming over, signing him, and turning into a really good player. Uh, you know, that seems to make an obvious sense. Like, him at under $5 million, right? He's 4.8 or something like that. Like, there's a lot of teams that would like him, but a great team that needs centermen and that is playing really well. I think Boston would be interested in a, in a guy like him. And then, you know, to me, it feels like Hannafin would be trade for and sign. Hannafin and Zadorov trade for as rentals. Like, I think they almost are in different sort of categories. So, you know, maybe it's an Arizona right. mm-hmm. or, you know, a team that's looking to get better trades for Hannafin and signs him that big deal and a team – you know, a Toronto or a team that needs, you know, an uptick on defense trades one of the other guys as a rental because they can't afford to go long term. But, uh, you know, every time I hear mm-hmm. Lynn Holmes' name, I'm like, oh, yeah, Boston Bruins. It looks so it looks like it makes too much sense that it probably won't happen. But um, I think the key is, though, don't leave this all late. You said he's going to play this out over several months. Space it out because you don't want to be sitting there a week before the deadline going, we got these four assets, and it's just the volume is too much exactly. for the league to absorb all these moves exactly. at the last minute. You chip away, chip away, chip yeah. away, so you maybe have one or two coming down to the wire, not all four. Yeah, exactly. That's bang on. That That's what they have to be careful here because they're already getting trade offers on them, but they have to figure out between now and March 8th what the timing is right for, for moving some of these pieces. And it's great that you brought up that whole point about Reynolds versus sign and trade. I think Hannafin almost definitely will be either a, a sign and trade or a trade and sign, you know, whatever the sequence is. I think he'll be extended as part of, of a trade when he gets dealt. Lindholm will see. I know I spoke to a team this week that has a lot of interest in Lindholm, but then heard that it was $9 million a year to extend him, and they're like, we don't want to just rent him out. So some of those conversations are happening internally in front offices. Like, what do we think Elias Lindholm is worth on a new deal? Uh you know, Tanev, does he go as a rental or, or do you want to sign him? Um, so, yeah, th- that's another whole part of this discussion is that, you know, the Flames might get pretty far on a trade framework for some of these guys. It's in the Flames' interest that some of these guys move as extended players, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they get they get better asset value back if, if these guys aren't rentals. So a lot at play here, but uh, the Flames are an action team. And, and Craig Conroy, by the way, after the GM's meeting, <laughs> bolted for the elevator like it was his uh, 50th year doing a GM's <laughs> meeting. He was he was like a veteran and very politely said, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking today. My favorite one ever was Mark Bergevin grabbing the plant and holding the plant yeah. in front of himself as he walked past the media that one day. I think that was in Boca Raton. Yeah. God, we all had a good laugh at that. It's a great yeah, point, by the way. It, yeah, a, a great, a great PS on all of this, and, I, and you guys may disagree, but if we and this is not a criticism about tree living because I think at the time we have to be honest, we all kind of liked that trade getting Huberto and Mackenzie Weger for Matthew Kachuk. But if you go back to that moment. And and everyone involved has confirmed this. It's it's not even Matthew Kachuk himself has talked about Carolina being the runner up for him. The Carolina trade offer to Calgary that summer in August twenty two was more of a futures deal, but it had some high end futures pieces in it. And now right. that you see that the Flames are headed down this mm. roster reset, you kind of look at it and say maybe they should have taken the Carolina deal. That was that. not the headspace they were in in any way, right. shape, or form. Yeah, right. right when he was having to move those guys, it was not about it was not about futures. It was how do we not miss a beat here. And that yeah. was uh, very front of mind for him. All right, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, anything on Patrick Kane here, uh, Pierre? No, no acquisition costs, right? This is about this is about signing a player. As the list expanded, when 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 do we first see him in a game? How's that? Yeah, uh, Dreg's talked about this uh, on Insider Trading, and I and I wrote about it as well. CJ had a big piece on him last week, so that it, it's this is getting towards its. This is a big week. So Pat Brisson is is having Zoom calls with both coaches and GMs of interested teams this week, which is a second step in this process. Um, Patrick Kane will be on some of those Zoom calls. I think. I mean, I think Patrick Kane could be on the on the ice with a new NHL team within two or three weeks here. So so we're heading towards a decision. The interesting thing is Pat Brisson told me early last week that he hoped to keep the list at five or six teams, but as Drake said yesterday. I think we're closer to eight now because teams are trying to get in here and get their say and and, and express their interest. Um, I spoke to Kevin Adams yesterday, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres, who confirmed the obvious, but he said, yeah, we're trying to hang in there. You know, he's Well, they got an opening player. now too, right, for a skilled yeah. player. So um, we'll see where this goes. Florida, the Rangers, Detroit, a few other teams. Uh, the one thing to keep in mind, and not to get too down a CBA tunnel, but – this is going to have to be a one-year deal and not a multi-year deal because if you do a multi-year deal at this stage of the season, the cap it for this year is through the roof. Remember when Nylander with the Leafs signed December 1st? So uh, you do a one-year deal with them, and then maybe there's a wink-wink, you know, this could be a fit pass this year, and you find a way to do an extension at some point. But I think that's where it's probably headed. I'm curious um, how teams will be able to or understand his health. Well, you know, Patrick Kane is obviously an incredible player, an amazing player, Hall of Famer. Maybe they're one of the best American players ever. But he wasn't as good as he usually is last year with the bum hips. So, like, yes, he's back and he's healthy, and presumably he's back to to, to, to better. But is he back to five years ago? Was he back to two? Like, I, I don't, it's, you know, if you're taking a leap of faith, right. you're going to bring him on your team, you're going to, He's a big personality and a big talent, and you're going to make it work in your room. Are you getting the 60-point version from last year? Are you getting the 90-point version from a couple of years? Like, 
you know, and you won't know. And, you know, yeah, I get it. The, the videos of him skating around an empty rink, he looks good. But you know what, Shoggy? I look pretty good when I, there's nobody around me either, right? Like, <laughs> like it's, I, I just, you know, how they try to process all that and, and, and make sure that his, that his game is, is where he and they want it to be when they make the commitment, not even financially. But it's just like, they got to work it on the team. He's going to yeah. bump someone off the top six. He's going to bump someone on the power play. He's going to bump someone off the first power play. Like, these are not consequential decisions that a team will undergo and you got to make sure that he's going to be healthy enough to warrant that amount of integration so so i would say two things to that mj because that's an excellent point um one is that I, I talked to a team about this and i don't even know if this team's still in it but this team said to me the fact that it's probably a one-year deal gives it more of a flyer a flyer yep. Even though this guy's going to Hall of Fame, it's more of a flyer for that perspective if you're just signing him for the rest of the year. So that's number one. You're not committing, you know. Um, but to your point, and this is probably unfair to Patrick Kane because you should never associate another player's health to another player's health. It's ridiculous. But Nick Backstrom had hip resurfacing surgery, which is the exact same surgery Patrick Kane had. And, you know, Nick Backstrom's career is is very likely over in fact uh ran into brian mcclellan yesterday at gm's meeting the gm of the caps who said it is unlikely that uh, nick backstrom will return so again that's not fair to put that situation on patrick kane because two different human beings but the hip resurfacing surgery isn't you know isn't done that often for hockey players so mm -hmm. to your point Okay, I want to get to the Edmonton Oilers, um, but the Edmonton Oilers these days have a way of hijacking an entire podcast. So rather than doing a forty-minute segment on what the what, uh, what we're going to kind of modify our we're going to modify our quick hitter segment and apply it to the Edmonton Oilers right now. So um, I'll I'll ask you a question and try and you know keep it to like 30, 40 seconds, and because there's a few we got to get through here, Johnny. So we'll start with this first and foremost. The decision to fire Jay Woodcroft coming off that win against Seattle, obviously having lost to San Jose after which the decision was made. Johnny, what did you make of the the, the thought process and the way that whole thing played out? Was it the right thing to do? So I see both sides of it. I understand the urgency to change something in a year where they can't let it go too far if it wasn't going to be working. So I, I get it. I, I get it in that sense. But also... Like, if you look at the numbers, look the way they played, aside from the goaltending, which the coaches don't really control, a lot of the underlying numbers for Edmonton were strong enough that wouldn't warrant a coaching change. Ken Holland said it himself. They had the second-best record under Jay Woodcroft's tenure in the NHL and then went on to say, but we're winning now. Well, you are winning now. You've won under him. So I get the need to change, but I also get the idea that they probably would have been fine had they not made the change it was a tricky situation because they feel so much pressure, Pierre, about this year and next and trying to make something happen deep in the playoffs in the next couple of years. Yes, and, and listen, Ryan has been all over this in his reporting on this. Uh, let's just be clear that Ken Holland wasn't the only one making decisions here in all this. Um, I think it's bullshit that Jay Woodcroft was fired when he was. I think that he should have been given more time. I think the underlying numbers suggested a team that was about to turn it around. Uh, I do not believe he lost the room. The guys are still playing hard for him. And I would have given Jay Woodcroft more time. Now, Chris Nolak might end up being the greatest Oilers coaching hire ever. That's not take away from him. It might be unbelievable. And then people are going to look back and say, well, there you go. That was exactly the right move at the right time. How do you know? 
Right. How do you know if there's not another week of Woodcroft that the Oilers aren't on a run? So I didn't like it. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. The Oilers to make the playoffs are going to have to go on probably about a 655 run of hockey from now to the end of the season, right? If, if 98 points, give or take, we'll use that as the benchmark. I, I think it's going to um, be less than 98. Telling you. Yeah, and that's fair, Pierre. That's fair. But let's put it where let's put it in the range where sometimes it is. So, you know, bottom line, the question here, Johnny, is can the Edmonton Oilers play at the pace they need to play at to still catch a playoff spot, given what we've seen from them so far this year? Like, can you just recapture? Basically, they got to play roughly in the zone they did last year. The answer is yeah. I think they can. Um, you, you know, I think we saw first game under Knobloch two important pieces is dry saddle and McDavid have to be dry saddle McDavid with, they haven't been that way in production so far this year. Should we believe that they will get back to something closer to last year than what they had done this year? Yeah. Like Connor McDavid was outside the top hundred in scoring in the NHL. That's not going to last, right? He may not be first, but he's not going to be a hundredth. So I do think they can do it. The one mm -hmm. wild card, of course, goaltending, they have to get better in that department. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to do it Pierre, but that's the one wild card that might prohibit them from doing so. Yeah, that's what makes me nervous about being definitive in my answer is that, yes, I honestly believe, A, that it's not going to be 98 points to get in on the number eight seed in the West. I think it's going to be 94, 93 points, and I think the Oilers can get there. But the goal, I just I don't know anything about goaltending, and it's been so bad that how do I know it's going to be better? I guess cause, because Stuart Skinner had a great year last year, but... I'm going to say yes, but with an asterisk, literally just based on getting good enough save percentage to not be bottom third. Mm -hmm. Johnny, should Paul Coffey have resigned his position as special advisor to Daryl Cates before taking the assistant coach's job? Did the organization need to publicly state that that was the case? Is it as awkward as some, including me, think it is to have a special advisor to the owner in the coach's office? So if you're if you care enough about those things, then the title doesn't matter. Like the perceived closeness to the owner, the advisory capacity, you can say, "Oh, he's not that anymore." Guess what? He is still that. Whether you call him that or not, he is that. Agreed. So it's going to be awkward for you because yeah. he has that relationship, or you don't care, and he still has that relationship. Changing titles means nothing. Players would not care, but the players will care if they don't feel like they can trust Paul Coffey. The idea that it's us in the room. We're in it together, and sometimes it's us against the people from management and against the ownership, and we're the ones in here that get it. If you think that even a Hall of Fame awesome guy, Paul Coffey, is a pipeline to the owner because Mike Johnson is struggling and he stays up too late at night and he plays too many video games, he loses money on cars, like whatever, that will be a problem for Coff and the team and the amount of trust that they'll need. But changing title means nothing, but there is a situation there as far as trust you know, for me, it's not so much that someone on a bench has a direct line to ownership because there have been head coaches. I mean, John Tortorella has has a pretty good line upstairs in Philly. Uh, you know, when Mike Babcock was in Toronto, he had a direct line to Larry Tannenbaum, uh, Joel Quenville over the years. Like, it's not a bunch a of head moment. coaches, Pierre. Those are a bunch of head coaches. This is where I'm going. So it's not that there's a co direct line from coaching staff to. It's that it's not the head coach in this case. Exactly. That, that's what's unusual. Um, and again, it's unique. Paul Coffey's a Hall of Famer. Obviously, you know, knows the game inside out. But it's, uh, you know, let's just say that uh, when I'm talking to other front offices right now, obviously that's the first thing people are asking about. Not 
Not always in a negative way, by the way. People are just saying, well, that's going to be interesting. Let's see how that plays mm -hmm. out. So I, I asked Paul Coffey the question in the press conference. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. Yeah. So I had Wayne Gretzky as a coach, the greatest player ever, a guy who knows more about hockey than anyone. He was a better coach his second year than his first. We'll leave it at that. Like, you know, we, it's like, even if you understand the game, coaching still takes a bit of work. And he's been in a spot, Costco right. in a spot where there's no learning curve for him. Like, he has to be good, and the D have to be good under his tutelage right away. So that will be a challenge. And I did ask him during the press conference about that, how you handle both those jobs and maintain a healthy chain of command and all that. You really get the feeling like he, you know, he said it's about respect. You just have to respect the people around you. I think he's going in there with the best of intentions, 100%. And I think that, you know, fundamentally speaking, people feel like Paul Coffey's a trustworthy guy that's well-intentioned. So that'll be his needle to thread how to square that with the other guys in that coaching room. And, last one on this. Last, yeah, well, ahead, I was going to say, remember last week I mentioned this and it didn't seem that relevant, but I mentioned that Ken Holland's on an expiring deal. And this is, to be honest, because I think there are a lot of things dancing in my mind as to how this could all play out. It is relevant now, isn't it? That point. I mean, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like thousand percent. This is not Ken Holland's work. You guys, I'm going to tell Jack you Jackson's this, running the show. This is not his. Yeah, right. this exactly. Ken Holland's solution to this would not have been fire. Jay Woodcroft, hire Chris Knobloch and install Paul Coffey as an assistant coach. Ken Holland would not have made those decisions. Whatever you think of what's happened here, that's not coming mm -hmm. from the brain of Ken Holland. Last one on this, Johnny, fundamentally, there's very little margin for error for this Oiler team. We all know the consequences ripple effect over the next couple of seasons with the dry sidle extension of potentially McDavid. They can't have this be a six month death march for a bunch of reasons. With all of that on the line, fundamentally, was it a mistake to put two guys in place who have not done the, those specific jobs before at this level? Um, you open yourself up to a world of hurt if it doesn't go well. I don't know if it's fundamentally a mistake. I mean, the, the proof will be in the results. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm reserving mm -hmm. judgment, but you put in two inexperienced. Now, Chris Knobloch is an experienced guy. He would have been a head coach at some point in his life in the NHL. It's not like he doesn't understand. He's not worked at it. And yes, he's Connor's former junior coach, but he's been a pro coach for a long time. But yeah, you, you can't have it not go well in any way, shape, or form because of their coaching staff. And if it goes down that road, Pierre, then that's a real, real big problem for the Oilers. I, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I, I was actually thinking about this because, you know, I knew we were going to come on air today and talk about this. Under which scenario do you now think Leon Dreisel still has a chance to extend it next summer? So, so here, here's what I'm – let's say the Oilers get in. They, they get the eighth seed. It's 94 points to get in. They just did enough, but then they get waxed in the first round. So is that good enough to feel like they're going to win some cups here? Or, or, or at this very point with the Oilers where they are in the standings, does it actually take the Oilers at least winning a round again for Leon Dreisaitl to feel like the ship's back in the right direction? So, so my point is that like we, we keep debating, can they still make the playoffs or not? This is not about making the playoffs or not for this team and for Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. It's about are we winning a cup or not? So mm. literally on this morning, if Leon Dreisaitl was on air with us and he, we had truth serum in him, how do you really think he feels about that decision coming this summer with one year left on his deal? 
mean, it, it, that I think what will happen, it will come down to how much he wants to stay in Edmonton. And it will no longer be about, I trust that we're a great team. It's more like leap of faith, but I love it here. You know, that, that the idea yeah. that and his the, friendship the quality Connor, of the obviously. team he's playing on is not going to be enough to carry the day. It's going to have to be more, I love Edmonton and don't want to move on from that city because I don't think almost anything that can happen this year um, is going to be, we're so great at hockey that I have to stay here because I'm going to have a chance of winning for the next eight years. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And obviously it dramatically affects potentially the Connor McDavid extension the following year. And mm -hmm. this is why this year is so important. This is why they can't have this be a six-month miserable death march. And it make no be. mistake, if it goes it the wrong be. way for the next three weeks... It will be miserable, right? And and I don't think right. so either. I think this team has it in it to turn this around. But guys, Leon Dreisaitl, I'm telling you, man, this guy, like, I, I can't imagine he'll be feeling like he owes the city or the organization, right? Whatever happens here. Like, this guy's been playing on a contract that is out of this be world team Because friendly. he doesn't. And he Ryan, signed he it owes, in good faith. But he owes Edmonton nothing. Giving them all exactly. that he could ever be asked to give him 11 years of his career. Exactly. Wicked value deal. Yes, they provided him a great opportunity. Every team provides every player that. He doesn't owe them. Now, he may want to go back. He I, may I, love I will say this. that I, I, I will give you two kind of recent, well, one recent one about Canadian teams. Two guys that when they were heading into one year left on our deal where some people wondered if truly they, they would want to extend. One lot this past summer is Austin Matthews. Now, I, I, I always thought he would, and I think a lot of people did, but some people remember we were talking about LA and, and, and going back there. Was, I don't know. Like the, it was out there. What would Austin Matthews do? And, and he extended. So my point is you have to be careful. I always try to get into the player's mind in that position. The other one was Carey Price, and, and people may forget this, but before he signed that massive extension with Mark Bergeron that summer years ago, Ups and downs in Montreal, the pressure of the market, a guy that's pretty reserved. And a lot of people wondered, would he actually, you guys remember this conversation, would he actually extend? And uh, and he did. So what I'm saying is we're going to try to get into Leon's mind here this this year, I think. And, and and at the end of the day, I don't even think people close to him will know for sure until he makes up his mind is what I get from these situations. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean... The dollars and cents of it, right? Like, he's going to need to know that he's got a chance to win Stanley Cups here, which playing next to Connor McDavid, I mean, you probably will. But what's the dollar figure? I mean, what's uh, what's the dollar figure? Like, because you got to get McDavid done too, and I know the cap is going up, but it's not going to be unlimited space. And what's the number out there from somebody for Leon Dreisaitl? And do you blame him Austin. if he's wanting to take a look and see what that might be? Isn't an Austin Matthews number? It's kind of where he goes right away. Yeah, right. Yeah. I would. Yeah, that's the starting point, yeah. I would think. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move off the Edmonton Oilers because we could do three more days on them. I want to talk <laughs> about two goal scorers this year. And these guys are at completely opposite ends, but boy, are both ever impressing right now. Who is surprising you more, Mike Johnson? Frank Pachano. Connor Bedard in his start, <laughs> right? Nine goals. Or Sidney Crosby on a 59-goal pace. What? Two fantastic stories right. from guys on the opposite ends of it. Okay, well, it's got to be Sid, right? Like, Sid is just wild. Like, Bedard, nine goals, yes, incredible. I think we, well, I had him pegged for 40-ish goals, which is a huge number for a rookie. But 
you know, he's showing that he can shoot. He's gotten the feel for it now. He's going to be a great goal scorer. Did anyone have Sid pushing close to 50 at this point in his life? No. Nobody would have had that. Um, he is just incredible. And we talked about, what is he going for, his 18th straight point per game season. Um, you know, he's just churning them out. Yep. But Ty Gretzky's around, record. Yeah, Ty Gretzky. To get around that number, Pierre, to me, is, it's got to be Sid because he's supposed to be getting worse while Bedard presumably is still getting better. The thing is, I, I'm just never surprised by anything Sidney Crosby does. Look how consistent he was last year. I mean, there was there's never been a hint of a drop-off in his game. So I, I, that's a tough question for me to answer. I, I'm not surprised. I'm honestly not mm-hmm. surprised at what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. just, this is who he is, man. And, and he would have made sure this summer that he, he's the guy that might surprise us with the retirement announcement, I wonder, because his standard is so high. And his consistency that he may refuse to even dip for one second. You know what I mean? Like, like I just, I'm gonna go with the other one because I because I think nothing Crosby does surprise me. So I, I I'm gonna go the opposite way from MJ here. The correct answer is Frank Vitrano. That's go the ahead, correct Nick. answer. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that's the. <laughs> yeah, He's also on pace 100%. for fifty percent. Yes, but... gotta love surprises. Yep. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off there, Johnny. What were you saying about Vitrano? I'm the, the fact that he's on pace for 50 as well for the Ducks that are in a playoff spot. That to me is the biggest surprise out of those three things. Eleven goals in 15 games so far for Frankie Vitrano. Man, mm-hmm. back, um, back to my point about the number eight playoff spot in the West. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's someone available. has to finish eighth in the West. <laughs> Might not take 98 points. Uh, Johnny, you ready to head out on the town and try some of that amazing Swedish uh, delicacy? Pierre, any advice, culinary advice for Johnny here on his odyssey? Oh, I've been to Stockholm twice. Absolutely uh, top five for me in terms of places outside of Canada. Love Stockholm. I I would just remind you that I don't think there's a last call Mm. in that town. Mm. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. I, I do have Gord Miller as my tour guide who has been here like 20 times. We went to an absolutely oh, wow. incredible restaurant last night. Like, like not out, but like it was a 6 p.m. Blue Hair special uh, uh, reservation, but it was incredibly good. Incredibly good. So um, I'll follow his lead. And there is one particular establishment that is very famous in this town that I've never been to, but it's been like noteworthy as a fun place to go for the better part of like 20 or 30 years as Pierre nods his head in acceptance of this. So I am (laughs) going to go there at some point. I'm not a big fan of the opera, but I might be going to the cafe opera at some point in this trip. I got to see this thing. Have you run into, uh, have you run into Nick Lidstrom over there? How's, uh, how's Nicky doing? So he was, I was at practice today and Alfie was there. Matt's is going to be there. And Nick Lidstrom, I walked by, I'm like, Oh, he really let himself go. He looks flawless. He looks unbelievable. He could be playing tonight, <laughs> tomorrow night for Detroit, second PP in a heartbeat. He is like in perfect shape. The only thing is maybe like that's his, so his, annoying. Ha- his hair is thinned a smidge. That is the only thing that's happened to him in the last 20 years. Um, had a chance to catch up with him. He's having a good time working with Detroit and doing some stuff, scouting for them. But uh, yeah, we did run into him and um, he is every bit of the, you know, Mr. Perfection that he was when he played. Lidstrom looks 25 and Zidona Chera is running marathons. I don't know. What's wrong with us? That's what I want to yeah. know. What the heck is our problem? Uh, all right, good stuff, Ryan, guys. I don't Much think you should include it. MJ in our conversation. 
<laughs> ah, he looks tired. He looks haggard today. I'm lumping him right in there with us, Pierre. <laughs> that's, that's uh, I thought I thought MJ was going to send me a nasty text last week at the Leafs uh, Leafs Senators Battle of Ontario. I, I tweeted out a picture that there's a picture on the wall in the sixth floor hallway when you walk to the press box of a rookie Mike Johnson standing near the boards during a practice. Do you know this picture I'm talking about, MJ? Yeah, you always walk it, by yeah, it. It was warm up on here, the way to the press box. Yeah, okay, and I, and I tweeted it out. <laughs> it's like. MJ hasn't, he has not aged. He looks the same as that picture from 19, whenever it was. Don't get cocky, MJ. You're no Nick Lidstrom, bud. That is for damn sure. And that was evidence this morning when I said hello. I'm like, that guy looks good. Yes. (laughs) Let's all be better. Let's all eat a little better and live our life a little better this uh, for this next week. Thanks, guys. We got to wrap up here. Uh, We're chewing our way through some connection issues too. So, so thanks for bearing with us here uh, on the podcast, folks. Thanks, MJ. Good job, Pierre. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for all your downloads and your subscriptions. Uh, If you get a chance, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast here on Got Your Back, and we will chat again next week. Huge thanks to our title sponsors. Kuma Outdoor Gear. Cheers, everyone.